0: Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. In this episode of The Dad Project, Jim Tierney talks about building a family culture that supports the raising of children into virtuous adults. Jim is an executive with a healthcare company in Southern California. He and his wife have nine children. In this talk about family culture, I'm actually going to start by drawing on examples from my professional life to illustrate the importance of culture. So in my career, I've had the good fortune to work in a few organizations, both in the public sector and in the private sector, that are very good at inculcating, even indoctrinating people into their culture. The most profoundly successful organizational culture that I've been associated with is that of the U.S. Marine Corps. I mean, try to recall for a moment the marketing campaigns of the Marines versus any other military service. While the Army and the Navy promise adventure, money for college, a $40,000 signing bonus, the chance to be an Army of One, the Marine Corps somehow simultaneously condescends to and yet inspires the audience with the message, you probably can't cut it. Maybe you can be one of us. With that, it gets people to self-select in. And then the Marines set about an intense, grueling process of enculturation, the result of which is a culture that is cultish. And having been there myself and still being a believer in it, I can tell you that this enculturation boils down essentially to one thing. It's not merely that Marines do or can do or are expected to do X, Y, and Z to be considered competent. It's that a Marine is. Being a Marine is who you are, not necessarily what you do, how you act, how you talk, how many push-ups you can do, although those sorts of things are a secondary part of it. Rather, being a Marine is an indelible mark. I can tell you that desired actions and behaviors tend to follow from the who we are, but they aren't the fundamental thing. You earn the title Marine and you're changed forever. Keep your eye out for bumper stickers. My grandson is in the Air Force. My grandson is a United States Marine. Now look, I'm not trying to give you a recruiting pitch. All this is to say that in my professional life, I've experienced firsthand... That a culture that defines its members in the terms, this is who we are, impacts those members deeply and forever. What are the results of this enculturation? Certainly Marines have done many brave things for their country and their comrades in war and in peace. But that's true of members of all the armed services, soldiers, sailors, Marines have all smothered exploding grenades to save their brothers in arms. But let me share with you a quick story from my own experience that for me illustrates the result of this enculturation into who we are. So walking down a city street in the uniform of a Marine captain, I once had a middle-aged, drunken, homeless man, 30 years my senior, who was lying under an overpass, notice me approaching, get to his feet, assume a rigid position of attention as good as any newly minted Marine on the day of his graduation from boot camp, render a salute, And with all the sobriety he could muster, greet me with a sincere, good morning, sir. You see, what that guy was doing with his life at that moment was not the point. The point is that deep down in there somewhere, under the greasy clothes, the stringy, unkempt hair, the down and out state of this unfortunate soul, who he was, was a Marine. I'm going to try to make the case in this talk that this is the kind of culture we should want in our families. The idea being that eventually our young children will have to make independent decisions away from the watchful gaze of their parents. And so we want them to have a beacon that they will remain focused on in challenging situations and periods of life. Hopefully not as unpleasant as homelessness. But if we're honest with ourselves, someone listening to this talk might be touched by addiction, unemployment, tragedy. The beacon of family culture can refer our children back to a very developed sense of who they are, what family they're a part of, and what is right and what is wrong. So about two years after the salute from that homeless former Marine, I was in a very different place in life, married by then and with my first child, and I had the daunting and terrifying realization that I was now responsible for shepherding this boy to adulthood in the midst of a broader American culture that was going to work against me, that was going to try to peel him away from me and raise him apart from me. An environment that was going to aggressively try to force itself on this innocent little boy through any number of channels from the education system to media to technologies yet unheard of. Add to it the fact that I was in business school making plans to be really successful and figured that even if I didn't sell a company for nine figures, I had a shot of becoming very wealthy by global standards, at least. And this was perhaps most frightening to me. I'd once done some volunteer work with high school students from one of the most affluent areas in America, and I had seen how corrupting, in the fullest sense of that term, how corrupting wealth can be. I don't think I'd ever met needier people than these rich kids. So I was afraid of messing it up in my own home. And faced with this situation, I sought a lot of advice that I put to work and which has shaped my family life completely. So I'll share it with you because I think it represents some key tools in a dad toolkit, if you will, that you could walk away from this session and start applying. The first piece of advice was to apply a part of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People framework to begin with the end in mind. A friend asked me to reflect on what I wanted my son's teenage years to look like, what I wanted his college years to look like, and what I wanted his marriage to look like should he end up getting married. And through some guided reflection and a lot of conversations, good conversations with my wife, we decided on a few things. One, we wanted the teenage years to be different than the conventional wisdom about teenage years. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Colleagues, friends, family members who bemoan the mere fact of having teenagers because of the attended drama, the conflict, self-centeredness, and rebellion of those years. I thought, what if we could skip that? I thought about what you might call the dream teenager would be like. Self-controlled, not whiny, not indulgent in a moody, brooding retreat from the rest of the family, in control of emotions, willing to make sacrifices, willing to serve others. So that's what we wanted from the teen years. About the college years, we decided that we wanted our kids to decide to come home to us for spring break, not to decide to go to Cancun with their roommates, because frankly, absolutely no good can come of that. And then thirdly, about the marriage years, we wanted our children's spouses, eventual spouses, to truly love them and to be as virtuous as we felt that our children could be. And when I shared these ambitions with my friend, he pointed out that thoughtful parents don't so much raise children, but rather they raise adults. And so my wife and I embarked on a journey to try to do things early in our children's lives, even as early as 18 months of age, that would pay off later. We felt that the way to achieve this would be to have a family culture that was our own and that drew on this idea I was so fond of from the Marines that culture is about who we are. And so in our home, culture is about who we are as a family. I'm going to talk first about the role my wife and I play. Family culture starts with us. And so we made some rules for our family culture that apply directly to us as a couple. So in our family We don't argue in front of the children. We show affection to each other. We show a willingness to apologize to each other, even in front of the children. Uh, Both of us have our antennae up for kids playing mom against dad. We're on what we call team grown-up, and we're very disciplined about asking our kids for most of their requests. Have you talked to mom about this already? And what did she say? Have you talked to dad about this already? And what did he say? Next. We tell the truth to our kids and we don't rely on empty threats. So when it's time to leave the local playground and a toddler doesn't want to leave, we don't say, okay, you can stay, but I'm leaving because if we don't get in the car and drive away, leaving the toddler at the park, which would be insane, uh, that child learns that we don't really mean what we say. We don't out of frustration yell, if you don't pick up these clothes, I'm going to throw them all in the garbage. Because if we really weren't willing to follow through on that, again, we come off as not meaning what we say. We want to not use empty threats. We want to tell the truth to our kids. Next, we don't let bad behavior slide without consequences. We don't let kids get away with being thoughtless about others' feelings. And we don't set up on the unrealistic expectation that there are no disappointments in life or that throwing a fit is the way to get what you want. We've had to psych ourselves up to hold the line on these things because they take a lot of work. Uh, Next, I'll say we are comfortable with authority. We exercise what you could call confident parent leadership. When the kids are young, this can mean always making sure that there are consequences for bad behavior, being willing to take away privileges that will upset them. And as the kids get older, confident parent leadership can mean being willing to make unpopular decisions about what kids wear who they hang out with, what the family's limitations on technology are. We don't feel bad about using different approaches for different kids. I won't be made to feel like a hypocrite because I cater my parenting to different kids' needs. An example that I could use here from my personal life, I've been a manager for many years, and uh, I have had the unpleasant responsibility at times to have to fire people. I have both fired people who lied to me, and I have decided not to fire people who've lied to me. And it depends a lot on whether the person comes to me and says, I'm really sorry for what I did, I made a bad decision, I appreciate the impact that it had on the company, and I would really like you to give me another chance. Or someone who denies it up and down, acts like they it didn't happen, acts like they don't understand what impact it had on the people around them. Those two things are very different. Those, those situations are very different. And so I need to apply different standards to those. I see a lot of parents fret about whether they're being absolutely consistent in their expectations across multiple kids. I think that's what what is more important than being absolutely consistent is being prudent, applying good judgment to the particular facts and coming up with a solution that makes sense given the situation. Uh, Some good reading material on holding the line on and expectations and, and being consistent in applying consequences. Uh, I recommend any books by the author James Stenson. Successful Fathers is one that I have turned to many times over the years. A good book that can give you a pep talk on sticking with consequences for bad behavior and holding the line on your expectations is You're a Better Parent Than You Think by Dr. Ray Garendi. And also his book, discipline that lasts a lifetime. For me, most of the material in Dr. Ray's books is confirmation of the common sense approach to parenting that my own parents took and which I have modeled much of my own style on, so I have to give my parents a lot of credit. Okay, so we've talked about how family culture starts with my wife and me as a couple. Next is the kids. We have set out to have the kids understand that our family culture like the lessons that I took away from the Marines is about who we are. We are different. Some of the dimensions on which we've sought to differentiate ourselves uh, and who we are and that we try to focus our kids on are that number one, we are comfortable as a family with high expectations. Number two, we serve others. Three, we prioritize our time as a family. Four, we have a We have fun and we balance out the culture of high expectations with family traditions that kids really enjoy. And then fifth, we teach kids to operate under a system where most things other than the basic needs are considered privileges. Let me cover expectations first. My own experience is that kids can start to have a basic sense of right and wrong at about 18 months of age and can definitely be expected to obey certain instructions. So the family culture we settled on was one in which during the early years, there's a lot of emphasis on high expectations for behavior. We always have consequences for bad behavior. Sometimes we notice that the child is too young to understand. So we're quick to decide, hey, it's too early. Let's give it another month and try again. But let me give you an example of how consequences play out in our house when it comes to toddlers. So we have a rule that we are not allowed to throw toys in our house. We want to reinforce respect for family property from an early age because we don't want to end up with teenagers who don't respect the family car, the house, etc. cetera. And so coming back to the toddler, if the toddler throws a toy, we ask them to pick it up and that's it. That's the consequence. It can be very gentle, but we're very committed to consistently applying it. If they won't pick up the toy, we'll ask several more times, giving them a lot of chances We want them to decide to pick it up on their own without it having to escalate. If they continue to refuse, one of us will get up from the sofa, guide the child's hand to pick up the toy, then walk with them to the toy box and put it back. They don't like this. And they learn what the rule is, that they don't like the consequences, as trivial as they might be to us, and that when mom or dad reminds me what the rule is, I need to do it. Over time, with multiple times learning this lesson, I found that you can catch a kid mid windup getting ready to hurl a toy across the room or throw sand in the face of another kid at the playground. You can say their name in the right tone of voice and stop the behavior before it happens, but that requires having worked on it many times prior to that. Being insistent on this can be really exhausting. And if it just seems like common sense to you and it's stuff that you're doing already, then you're doing great. If, however, you're living under a reign of toddler terror and feel like it'll never end, you might want to give yourself a pep talk and try to get consistent on consequences. It's better than fighting these battles in the teen years. Not to say that there aren't some battles with teenagers, but if kids are accustomed to expectations for behavior and have had them applied to them over time, I find that even when teenagers disagree with their parents' approach, they can at least more easily accept it. Also, I think it's important for us to realize that someone or something is going to exercise authority over our children. The world will discipline them if we don't, and it will hurt a lot more if it comes in adulthood after many years of getting used to not having any consequences. So I believe that we have to love our children enough to give them the gift of discipline ourselves. One more point on parent leadership. If school is a bad influence on our kids, or if it's too early to tell and you're not sure, if it's at all possible for you... You might think about picking a school where kids can have good friends, where the kids come from families who are also very thoughtful and intentional about the raising of children. I've found that if you can identify a school community like that, even though we may be different from other families in how we execute our expectations, our family culture doesn't seem to our kids as though it's from another planet. There are other families out there who care just as much, and as kids get older, This can help them, give them the perspective that because I don't, for example, get unfettered access to video games, doesn't mean that I'm the only one. Maybe picking a school is impossible for you, that's okay. You might just have to work a little harder, or maybe launch your own school. Okay, so we've spent a lot of time here on expectations. I want to move on to serving others. Our kids have assigned chores from an early age. I've found that toddlers can sort laundry into lights and darks, or they can sort the silverware coming out of the dishwasher. And I find that if we can help them feel that they are truly assisting the family, little kids really get into it. Another thing that we expect is that our older children Are going to serve younger children at meals. Big kids don't get to elbow their way to the front of the line and take a big piece right from the middle of the tray of lasagna. They have to make sure their younger siblings are served first. Okay, next on to prioritization of our time as a family. Family time in our culture and the family dinner take priority. This can mean that sports and other activities have to take a backseat to family time. And there have been times when we've chosen a less competitive local rec league over a traveling team because we simply weren't willing to sacrifice family time in the way that the travel team would require. If all of these expectations sound demanding, they are. You might wonder if kids can handle it. Well, we make sure to have a lot of fun as a family too, And to have a lot of family celebrations and traditions that provide a counterbalance to the high expectations. So we've actually found that kids can thrive in a strong family culture. We are very intentional about celebrating family milestones and having traditions like movie nights and board game nights, reading aloud as a family, going to the beach together, encouraging our kids to have their friends over to our our home. And I think we've seen a lot of indications that even our teenagers really look forward to the family festivities that they know are coming up on the calendar. On the expectation side of our our culture, it's gratifying to see our kids start to discern, be able to articulate how we are different from, say, public figures who behave badly. And from other families we encounter who don't have our level of expectations and therefore exhibit very different behavior. And on the family fun side, it's great to see our kids' excitement when they ask to include friends on some of our family traditions. This is where planning ahead for the college years comes in, making our home life fun and having family traditions. We believe that the strength of this culture will be a draw for our college kids who won't be able to imagine missing our traditional family celebrations, sharing those moments with their siblings. The kids think our culture is cool and we believe they will continue to feel that way. Put this all together. And I think you have a much better shot of having kids that understand and believe that they are part of something much bigger than themselves. I want to say a few words about privileges in our family culture, screen time, time at friends' houses, participation in sports, even having friends over for a birthday party. These are considered privileges. These are not basic human needs. Our kids have to earn into it. They're not entitled to it. And this is just a great lesson in life. Sometimes you have to get your work done, your chores done, your schoolwork done. You have to have certain accomplishments in school before you get a chance uh, to enjoy privileges. And that's uh, something that we have set out from a young age with our kids. So far, we've talked about the teen years, the college years, and now I'll move to the marriage years. My wife and I believe that we have to model a loving and healthy marriage for our kids if we expect that they're going to have loving and healthy marriages. It has to be clear that there's love and affection between mom and dad. The kids need to know that mom and dad are on the same page. Together, this provides an environment of security and safety in which kids can thrive. This is a formula for having children eventually seek spouses who reflect the positive qualities of their parents. And I want to reiterate that for all my talk about expectations and consequences and discipline, remember, we emphasize fun traditions. Another important thing to balance out the expectations is to make sure to use affirmation generously. Giving kids lots of affirmation, giving our spouses lots of affirmation, it costs nothing. And it'll make it much more likely that our kids will not go and seek it somewhere else. Uh, I'll lastly add that we dads need to be self-sacrificing in marriage and family life. We should take the heel of the loaf of bread. We should take the bruised banana. We should select for ourselves the worst seat in the row that we pick when we go to the movies together. If we want our kids to grow up to be selfless, we need to show them what that looks like. I've given you a lot of tips and tricks that I've picked up from others on my journey. If you're in a place where you think some of them could work for you, but they would be pretty new. I encourage you to speak with your wife about it. Have a whole series of conversations about it if necessary. Pick things that you can be on the same page about. Family culture is something that develops and that can't be forced. We added all these things over time. We tried some things that worked really well for other great families and didn't work for us, so we got rid of them. Some things work for a while or work for one kid, but they're less applicable to others. All this is to say that this talk is not an infallible playbook for your family, but rather a summary of some of the aspects of one family's culture. So my final encouragement to you is to be that confident parent leader who thoughtfully and decisively works to build the culture that will support and reinforce the ambitions that you have for your family. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.